0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Infrastructure as Code podcast. We're going to talk about cloud and specifically about infrastructure as code. You can follow up on Twitter, the IAC podcast. You can follow me directly, DevOps Ohad. My name is Ohad Meislish, and I'm going to be the host for today. And today we have an amazing guest. We have Hassan, the CEO and co-founder of InfraCost. Hassan, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's our pleasure. T- tell to our audience who you are, please.
1: Sure. Uh, so hey, everyone, I'm Hassan. I'm one of the co-founders of InfraCost. Um, I've been involved in cloud and especially around uh, cloud costs since 2011, I think now. So it's been a while. Um, and uh, seen many iterations of, of infrastructure, infrastructure as code, and cloud costs through that period of time. Awesome. And can you tell us more about infra cost for
0: those who are still not aware of this amazing open source and company? <laughs> sure.
1: sure. Um, so I'll give maybe I'll give a quick background and then I'll tell you where in the process. So like the usually usually way that cloud costs have been managed has always been after the fact, right? You provision infrastructure, it goes to production, It starts incurring costs. And then afterwards, someone gets a bill and they're like, whoa, we're the,
0: the why shock. is it so high? We're the, in this the cloud build, shock, right? The cloud bill shock,
1: yeah. yeah. Everyone loves that shock. <laughs> um, and then kind of with InfraCost, and one of the things that I think I see is, has really enabled is we can do, be proactive about Cloud cost. for example. So what InfraCost does is sit in the CD pipeline. And anytime someone changes infrastructure, it's, it tells the DevOps engineer or the end user, hey, this change you're making is gonna increase your cloud costs by this much. And it gives them a detailed breakdown of like, here's all the resources you're changing, adding, removing, and here's the cost impact of those. So, you know, think about like a checkout screen for infrastructure. That's, that's, a, that's kind of what it costs does right now. That,
0: that's amazing. So just to, to clarify, let's say I'm a DevOps engineer, I have telephone code, The most common infrastructure is code framework. Mm-hmm. And then I have a pull request in GitHub. That I want to change some EC two instance or some other types of resources before doing the risky merge, I will know much better what's going on.
1: Exactly, like it will tell you, hey, you just increased the storage in this, or you did a new database, or you change the instance type, you change the region, the operating system, any of those variables has a cost impact, right? And it tells you these variables you've changed are going. this is the impact to cost either up or down, right? If you're trying to save money, it says here's how much you're going to save with this move. Um, And the other thing I'll say is InfoCost is that part is free and open source. So why not? Like, why not have that safety net? If I remember correctly, you already have like thousands of of GitHub stars for your open source, right? Yes, yes. I think we're thousands thousands and thousands of users and I think 8,000, Five hundred or eight thousand get up stars. I like those get up stars.
0: <laughs> that's that's amazing. So you are trying to, if if I may say, shift left the yeah. the decisions
1: way earlier uh, in yeah. the pipeline. I mean, like that's one thing that's super cool about infrastructure code, right? The things that we if we look at the industry as a whole, we've seen security shift left. Right, and we've got companies in the public market who are shifting those stuff left, but well, we still haven't shifted out cost left enough. We've tried to, like, we've, you know, you do the, here's, I'm gonna look at the bill, digest it, and tell the team how much they've spent. That's not really shifting left, that's like still reactive and telling people what's happening. Um, Where, so we're with them because we're actually trying to shift that left, um, have that actually in the workflow of the engineers.
0: I I remember you talked about shifting left security. I had the honor of being one of the first consultants in a very successful company named Snyk that are uh, shifting left security. And what you're doing for cost, they've been doing for security. So let's say I developed some code in uh, Node.js and I uh, starting to use an open source library. Uh, which is helpful, but I use a version of that, which is risky and has some non vulnerabilities. In the mm-hmm. pull request, I would get alerts about those uh, risks and that will help me prevent those mistakes before merging. And my question to you, if I remember correctly about Snyk, they took it one step ahead and they do that also in the IDE, meaning if I develop code, even before pushing that to GitHub to the pull request, uh, It's it's not the same as the main branch. Pull request is much uh, more isolated, but even a pull request creates some noise if it has some uh, problems, some risks. Does InfraCost doing now or planning on doing shifting that left even more to the IDE?
1: Is that on your radar? How far left can we go? Okay, so we, we do. So we have a VS Code extension right now. Literally, as people type Terraform code, we say, hey, this thing you just typed is gonna have this cost impact. It's gonna be this this much. And that really enables those um, what if scenarios to happen, right? The engineer's typing out, what if I did this block of code versus this block of code immediately get two cost estimates, all right, uh, you get to see it. However, I'm gonna push that further. Um, the question for us kind of long-term also is how far left can you go? Because remember at this point that the engineer's writing the code, um we've gone past some architectural decisions already right so one of the open questions is can we go further left and get into the architecture stage and i think that would also be super interesting um right now it's where the infrastructure code is enabling this where we have the you know the cost estimates and the pull requests and things like that And I think it's very impactful for the engineers to see because that's the point that they can make those changes of the cost. And then the architecture stage will be a rougher estimate but I'll give them directionally how much it'll cost. Right, so I think that'll be helpful as well. But I'm gonna turn this around now. What do you think? So the argument I've heard as well is, all right, how much stuff are you gonna go shift left? And when can the engineers actually work on like, if they're shifting like everything, What are they going to do? Are they going to write code or are they just going to look after all the others? What do you think about that?
0: Wow, that's a great question. I think the first thing I've noticed that is shifting left uh, with the responsibility is performance. I remember New Relic and APM, other application performance monitoring tools. And for the first time, I remember us engineers uh, taking ownership of your uh, performance impact. Uh, because before that, it was the operations responsibility. If something is slow, it's probably an infrastructure uh, issue. And why should I care about the performance? Uh, add more CPU, add more uh, memory. I don't care about it. But obviously, that mentality has changed, and those kind of developers can no longer uh, be called senior developers or uh, good dev- good developers. In like my- in my opinion, but it wasn't really that shifting left. It shifted, it left from operations to developers, but still it was reactive. After you deployed your code to production, maybe to staging, maybe you had APM like New Relic in staging, so you could have started monitoring that before it reaches production, but usually It was after it reaches production. So that was the the first thing of more responsibility for the the developers. Then I think things like security, obviously, whether it's open source or your actual code that has uh, security vulnerabilities. I've seen some solutions about licenses. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're using an open source library that will work and be efficient Mm -hmm. and secure but your company cannot really sell that as a commercial product because this license is pretty limited. So you need to be aware of that as well when you make those decisions. So I think all in all the life of the developer, whether it's the DevOps engineer or the application developer changes over time to have more responsibility together with more tools that allow that just just, uh, throwing more responsibility without the appropriate tools and processes is uh, is not gonna work, but I think gradually we see more and more uh, responsibilities uh, uh, for the developers. And I think yeah. the revolution of infrastructure as code when infrastructure is being represented as code and not physical hardware, not even virtual or cloud code. It's not about changing directly cloud resources. It's first you need to change mm-hmm. code. We are seeing the same concepts of shifting left to the developers. I think long story short, I think uh, the trajectory is clear, more things are shifted left, but it needs to be done with cautious, the right tools and the right processes.
1: 100% agree, right? I I think that's like what I see as well. What I'm seeing is if you provide, if you want to shift something left, it's fine to, to do it as long as you provide the support, the framework and, the, and like the process in there, right? Where the engineer is still in their workflow and working efficiently and at the right point, they their process is appended with information that can help them make better decisions. Um, right. I love what uh, one of our users is actually from Wix says, right? It's like better, engineering this is better engineering like you're writing better code like it's more efficient okay it saves more money as well and that's a better code it's more optimal it's more efficient so i agree yep. i think it's I, there's more to shift left this just needs more tools and processes and help
0: i think in general the life of the developer is changing to use more blocks and pieces and glue those mm. glue those together I remember uh, I, I just uh, celebrated 41. I, I had a birthday yesterday, so I'm a bit, a bit, happy birthday. I, I, I feel a bit a bit old sometimes, and I remember. I'm not sure if our audience knows about it, but eventually, it works uh, in the CPU. I actually wrote assembly, assembler code, 20 mm-hmm. uh, something years ago for an operating system called DOS by Microsoft. <laughs> uh, and that I, I had to right, right, develop a driver for, for those. Don't, don't ask me why. And wow. you need to do everything really specifically, but it's really inefficient. So today, it's way more the big blocks and the engineer needs to understand what can be done. And, you know, as, as a mm-hmm. fixed and piece that you can take it as is, that you don't need to write assembly and you don't need to write a lot of complicated things. You can just use open source and other tools to help you optimize your work and focus on on your core business. And it's beautiful to see this trajectory, this trend of how the developer's life is uh, is evolving. But but let me go back to, to infrastructure as code and, and infra cost. So I have two very specific questions about that. We've mentioned Terraform, yeah. um, but Terraform is not the only framework out there. Um, so two questions here. A, what do you think about the different frameworks and where it's going? I can mention Pulumi and Crossplane mm-hmm. as other multi, multi-cloud multi open source frameworks. I can mention the vendor specific, mostly CloudFormation for AWS or ARM templates for yeah. uh, Azure. What do you think is happening today? And what do you think will happen in a few years with the variety of those frameworks? And the second question, which might be related to that is what about InfraCost? Will InfraCost support several multi-frameworks or will it focus mainly on Terraform?
1: Yeah, good question. Okay, so I remember back um, when kind of new services, AWS was launching and we were like, all right, everything's gonna shift to cloud. Um, immediately and then serverless came out and they're like, oh, right, everyone's gonna serve serverless and then Kubernetes is kind of the whole process. What I honestly think will happen is things will coexist. So the customers, the bigger customers I speak to, they're, and I, and I ask them, are you Terraform? They're like, yes, but I also use, we have Azure arm and we're trying out Pulumi as well, which I'm. so I think that's natural. And I think what's gonna happen is the same thing that took a while to become multi-cloud. Remember it wasn't multi-cloud before, but now it really is. I think the same thing is gonna happen here. It'll be whatever tool for whatever team that helps them most, they'll adopt that and it's optimized for that and they'll use that. So I think there's massive space still to grow. There's a lot more applications going on to cloud still, right? So I think all these ISDS will compete and grow. For InfraCost, we have to support all of them. And that's one of the challenges we have, right? So we started with Terraform, and now we're getting a lot of requests for CloudFormation, for Pulumi, for uh, Azure ARM and Bicep, and I think it will just keep going. And I think one of our challenges, and probably what I would love to see what you think as well, is we have to keep, the tooling that we provide, we have to keep supporting all uh, the major uh, providers and that's the challenge in our us as, as kind of suppliers what do you think?
0: <clears throat> I think the same as you mentioned about the uh, shift to multi-cloud we see the same with the shift to multi-frameworks eventually you have different teams that have the mandate to select their uh, best technology in both Terraform, CloudFormation, Pulumi those are free so there is no real uh, there in order for somebody to decide, okay, this new project, this new group, we're going to use Pulumi, we're going to use CloudFormation, we're going to use Terraform, we're going to use TerraGrant. Uh, So we Mm -hmm. see more and more uh, the variety. I do want to mention that Terraform is definitely the leader, and not just just because of the uh, um, being multi-cloud and open source, but also because of the ecosystem. If you look at other things that support Terraform, so two things here. One is the providers. Okay, so I'm not just using AWS. I'm using AWS and Okta and zero and SandGrid and Datadog. Everything I can manage with Terraform, whereas the uh, support for that in CloudFormation or others is way more limited. And if I look mm-hmm. at solutions like InfraCost that I want to do as part of my... Uh, um, you know, package of solutions. I want to have cost awareness. I want to use InfraCost. I want to use policy as code. So I want to use open policy agent. I want to do some static code analysis. So I want to use TerraScan or TfSec. So all, right. all of all of those make it simpler uh, decisions for me to choose to, to Terraform. I think that's one of the biggest challenges for the other infrastructure as code frameworks, not just to support multi-cloud or to uh, uh, be efficient, In the developer-friendly. It's more about the entire ecosystem for uh, making those decisions. But as you mentioned earlier, you cannot stop the developers and they will choose whatever makes sense for them for those scenarios. Like you have multi-cloud. I remember seeing like four years ago, five years ago, the shift to Google GCP Mm -hmm. because of GKE. They were the first one Mm -hmm. to introduce the managed Kubernetes, so I've started seeing some AWS customers moving or adding also GCP, mainly because of GKE or BigQuery in that sense. Things that you have specifically in one technology, in one in one vendor, or in our case, one framework. So I think the uh, multi-framework situation is uh, inevitable. Yeah. Um, uh, but I am a big believer in, in Terraform being the leader
1: of... Uh, of those frameworks yeah i think that's a good point i think that's a good point like so when as as tools or a small project side project you want to test with something then you basically can test with anything and learn anything right you do that as you go towards production systems i think um more and more the bigger companies are looking at okay the ecosystem of support around the altar. And i think that's spot on they're like okay if if uh, I want to use CloudFormation. Okay, it's AWS only. What is it? What does the ecosystem support that? And if there's not a lot of support, it's not the end of it. Like it's not going to stop adoption, but it's going to add another question. It's like, are there going to be support for this? Are there going to be more tooling? And I think that's. I think one of their challenges of each one of these um, kind of open source tools or providers, I see. Is, is to encourage the ecosystem as well, and work with the ecosystem to enable them to plug in their tools and support the growing community as well. I think that's super important.
0: Awesome. Let's go back to infra cost. Uh, so I've asked about multi-framework. I want to ask about usage-based uh, costs. Yes. So um, EC2 virtual machine has fixed pricing, whether you really use it or not, as long as it's up and running, going to pay for that. However, Lambda function or a more common uh, auto-scaling group Kubernetes cluster, uh, RDS databases, those you pay uh, according to your usage. What do you think about this more
1: complicated problem and what's the approach of InfraCost about that? Yeah, okay, great question and I'll expand it and, and make it a little bit more hard as well. But okay, so Overall, if we think of cloud costs, they split into two different buckets, right? The fixed costs, exactly as you said, easy two things like that. Regardless of you use them or not, you're going to get charged that price, um, or that that's going to incur that cost. So those are easier, still complicated, but easier to estimate and put in the engineering workflow. Um, for those from from an input cost point of view, they get scanned, they show the end user, this is exactly what's going to happen. Usage-based resources are interesting because uh, for, for usage, the first thing Infocost does is scan the code and detect that there's a usage-based resourcing. So what it does is actually tell the end user, hey, the way this is priced is based on requests and duration. And uh, the components of these is, for example, 20 cents on every 100 requests or 10,000 requests. That's shown to the engineer immediately. So the engineer now knows at least what parameters are gonna get charged for the usage-based resources, then within Pricoh also what we have is called something called a usage file, in which you can model the usage um, that the usage-based resources will have. So, hey, I have a, I have two terabytes of S3. I have X data transfer coming in through, and so when when you populate the usage file, those are then used to estimate the usage-based resources, so that the engineer knows, okay, here's what we're going to roughly. So the the, the majority of usage that I've seen on the the usage-based resources is profiling, so you define a low usage profile, a medium usage profile, and high usage profile, so that the engineer can say, okay, I think this application is gonna be a medium usage profile, um, and kind of use that as a cost estimation. Now, if I look a little bit further, I think what we have to do also is automate some of that, which is, can we connect to the cloud provider and per resource, pull down the last 30 days average of usage and set, use that as a basis of the cost estimation. And a good example of that would be, okay, I'll, I'll tell you how much S3, this bucket has data in it. What tiering do you want to use? If you change this tiering, here's the cost impact that's gonna have on the usage that you've had in the last 30 days. Um, and that's, that's kind of one part of it. That's kind of the usage-based part of it. Now, if I make it more complicated, In fact, before I make it complicated, think of cloud costs as an equation, okay? That might help. So cloud costs equals usage multiplied by price. What a lot of companies usually do in this space is play around with the price component of that equation. What do I mean by that? I mean, they buy RIs. They they go and negotiate with cloud providers, um, commitment discounts, EDPs, EA, things like that. Now, they're all playing with the price component of that equation. So if it's 100% usage waste, times that discount, yes, you're getting a discount, but it's on waste. And so you got to move, the engineers can impact the usage component of that equation and finance with commitment discounts and negotiations can impact the pricing of that place. So you then have this complic- complexity on top of it is, I'm going to launch a resource. Is it going to get an RI or not? If someone should, someone should I look at the price with an RI discount or not with an RI discount, and so what what InfoCost is trying to do more is help the engineer make that decision, and then make that information available to the finance teams and say, hey, an engineer has launched something here, and they've they've said they're communicating that this is going to be a long-term project running. You should look at buying RIs or at least negotiating that price component of that equation. So long winded answer, but this cost thing keeps getting more and more complicated. And I think that's why when we shift left, we've got to be very clear in the tooling to help the engineer, um, and then communicate that forward with others as well in the organization.
0: Awesome, I think I have last big question for you. Right. Uh, we start. We're starting this year with clearly uh, the markets are uh, struggling way more than than a year ago. Yeah, and it's quite known that the second biggest. Uh, cost for organizations after a payroll is -hmm. is cloud cost. Um, We hear more and more DevOps engineers and teams uh, more focused on reducing cloud cost. It was always uh, in the top of the agenda, one of the main things in the agenda. So my first question here you hear that more, do you hear the awareness for reducing cloud cost becoming even more important because of the how the markets are um, struggling in the way for efficiency
1: and profitability? What, what do you see from when you talk to customers? 100%, 100%. So I see kind of two things happen. One, it's becoming more important for companies as a whole. Therefore, people within the organization have got to get involved with that. Um, and the second component is, I think everyone realizes the main changes you can make to your cloud costs in terms of efficiency, not just reduction, but optimization. You remember you're using this, right? So it's not just like reduce it, but it's optimize it. Um it comes down to the engineers. A lot of the work does come down to the engineers. So it's becoming more and more top of line for the engineers. Um, so I've definitely seen an uptake. And I'm definitely seeing more of a priority given to it across Uh,
0: the board. Another thing I've heard in that context, maybe it's total nonsense, but uh, probably you can uh, shed some light here. Uh, The FinOps teams, we more focused, uh, at m 0 we focus more on the DevOps teams and you're probably more Mm. focused on the FinOps teams. And uh, I've heard that there is a bit of a shift uh, from those teams from reporting to the CFO to reporting to the CTO, because it's clear that the work is becoming more technical and less uh, Excel and just numbers, more about, okay, we need to better understand uh, what kind of decisions can be be done. Are you seeing FinOps teams uh, becoming more technical and maybe instead of reporting to CFO, reporting more to CTO,
1: or is it not that relevant what I've heard? That's a good question. The majority, so, because of where I sit, because being a CLI tool, being open source, adopted by platform eng- uh, teams, and, um, engineers, I see more of the FinOps teams having a technical kind of pedigree in them from the get-go. Um, and I think it, but it's important for uh, kind of a cross-functional thing to happen, right? If you think of that equation again, both need to work. Like the price can be negotiated down and the engineers can uh, reduce the usage of that. Um, So I definitely see them more reporting to an engineering manager versus a finance side of the business. Now, the other thing I'm seeing, which is interesting as well is product teams or product owners becoming involved in that as well. So if you think of uh, engineers making code changes, all right, there's a reason they're making a code change and it's usually because a product feature is requested, we're developing this and things like that. a super interesting feature we just built and released is the Jira integration. So a product owner opens a Jira ticket, says, I want this feature. All right, we've got 10, 20 pull requests. Can we sum all those costs up? Send it to the Jira ticket and say this Jira issue that you've opened and you want to add this feature consists of these infrastructure changes, and that's the cost impact. So the product, right? This this feature that I'm building has a cost impact as well. And then that can be taken for budgeting within the FinOps group. So it's kind of like there's specialists in the FinOps group, but also there's people reporting <laughs> in about what we can do and change there as well. So I think it's a pretty fast evolving space and team. And I think it's going to be pretty exciting to see what happens as we go through, especially this year and next year um, with the cost reductions and things like that.
0: Awesome. Yeah, Hassan, I think... Uh... Every company really cares about cloud cost, And I think what you're doing in InfraCost is super interesting together with the shift for infrastructure as code, that every yeah. piece of your infrastructure becomes a piece of code. And I really want to thank you for uh, the session today. It's been uh, really enlightening. And I hope our audience learned a lot from listening to you and, and our conversation. So thank you for joining this episode of the Infrastructure as Code podcast. I want to thank all of our listeners. Feel free to follow us uh, on Twitter, the IAC podcast, and share with your friends if you enjoy that.
1: Thank you very much and have a great day. Awesome. Cheers, folks. Thanks so much. Thanks.